The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Children uh, that would like to go to Children's Church uh, can uh, please do so. And you uh, can locate in your Bibles Mark chapter number 10. Um, if you have not personally and in a saving way through faith experienced uh, what we have been singing and talking about this morning, we want to make clear once again uh, the joy that is ours through saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark chapter 10, we are going to finish the 10th chapter, which is just full of all kinds of great truth. I spent seven weeks uh, teaching chapter 10 back in the Lenten season. If you want those notes, you're welcome to them. But I've been kind of quick, uh, a quick run survey over the chapter, and today we want to spend the majority of our time thinking about verses 46 to the end of the chapter as Jesus and his disciples and this big entourage of people who were following him come to Jericho. That would be the city and in, 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 in the ancient world um, falling down. Uh, but he's coming to Jericho, leaving Jericho, this great crowd. And there is Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. Just think about that for a moment. Not just blind, with social services to take care of you and all of the things that a modern world would offer a person who is blind, but you're blind and you're begging. You're a blind beggar. And you're sitting, you're sitting on the roadside. Just kind of get that context in your head. He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling them to be silent. Can you imagine? Well, sure we can imagine. That happens all the time in our world, doesn't it? God, Jesus, are you kidding me? Who would believe that? Who would believe that? But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. You ever, you ever been in a crowd of people or you ever tried to take a group of people to go do something and you finally get them moving and then suddenly they're stragglers. You go, everybody, we've got to stop. You've got to pick up the stragglers. And to get everybody moving again, like it's, it's an enormous task, isn't it? I feel that way every time I come to a hill and I have to slow down because the traffic ahead has forgotten one of the most basic fundamental principles of driving. Accelerate up the hill. Please repeat after me. Accelerate up the hill. There you go. Well, well Jesus stops. He stops. Can you imagine this great throng of people and he stops? And he doesn't just stop, but he calls him. And then they call the blind man and they say, take heart, get up, he's calling you, throwing off his cloak. He sprang up, came to Jesus, and Jesus asked him this question. And it's a question I believe he is asking you and I as well. What do you want me to do 
for you? What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And where were they going, Brian? Where were they going? On the way to where? To Jerusalem. The blind beggar now has sight. Following Jesus doesn't know what lies ahead, does he? He's on his way with Jesus to Jerusalem. Father, I pray that I might speak in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would indeed be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Yesterday morning, I had four pages of notes. By 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I had a page and a half. So if you picked up the sermon and you thought maybe I forgot to staple the other pages, this is the page and a half, which gave Sam then the opportunity to say something funny to me yesterday. If I remember correctly, you said, that sounds hopeful, or some, or some such thing like that. Mark is using this miracle to confront the reader with the question that Jesus asked the blind man. What do you want me to do for you? That question can only be filled with hope and possibility if the person asking it can deliver. What do you want me to do for you? Sounds great, except that the person asking the question has to be able to deliver. Perhaps you read the horrific account of the now plus 50 people who suffocated in the back of a trailer outside of San Antonio, Texas a couple of weeks ago now. Let us pray that those who were found alive may indeed survive and that those who are trafficking human life will be brought to justice. But you can imagine the anticipation of hope in those people when they were promised that they could get into the United States of America, the place where they would desperately want to go. And they packed themselves into this trailer, placing faith in the hands of people who made a promise. But unfortunately, the hope and possibility of life in the United States was placed in the hands of people who were not able to make good on the promise. And in a tragic Loss of human life. I don't even like to think of it because I have tendencies toward claustrophobia. What it must have been like to die suffocating in a trailer in 104 temperatures in the middle of Texas. Perhaps some in this room have placed your faith in something or someone who didn't deliver. It may not have cost you your life, but it cost you your reputation or it cost you a emotional, uh, you know, uh, deeply in an emotional way. Maybe it cost you friendship or relationship. You placed your faith in someone or something who didn't deliver. Or it very well could be that there would be some in this room, you've had a need and no one even cared to ask you about the need. No one stopped. No one tried to help, not even to try and make a promise. You have just been left alone, neglected, 
feeling like no one cares. But you know, just as in this room, we all have on some level experienced the harshness and difficulty of broken promises, many of us in this room have also had the opposite experience. Because for many of us in this room, there, there was a time in our lives when Jesus stopped. And Jesus called our name. And he said to us, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And what is so very encouraging about this particular example Mark is showing us, and what is true in all of the scripture, is that Jesus is always precisely where he is needed. He's never late. He's never out of touch. Jesus is always precisely where he is needed. And in all of the Gospel of Mark, and especially in chapter 10, the needs have been all around him. The disciples are muddled. They can't figure it out. The nation of Israel is still blind in their unbelief. But Jesus is seeing everything clearly. And I want to remind you of that this morning. Regardless of what your circumstances may be, regardless of what it appears to be at this present time, in our nation and national concerns or local concerns or this church concerns or your home private life concerns whatever it might be please remember let faith rise up to remember that Jesus sees everything clearly he sees everyone clearly and just as he stood precisely where he was needed that day in the life of Bartimaeus, he stands today precisely where he is needed in our lives, in this church, in our communities, and in the nation, and in the world in which we live. And not only is he standing precisely where he is needed most, but he is still asking us the question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? We have been presenting the evidence that Mark has written for us. If you are still unsure about Jesus, I would offer you this very moment in the Gospel of Mark as a reason then to confess your sins, as Jonah did, right, in the belly of the great fish, to confess your sins, to cry out to God for mercy, as Bartimaeus cried out, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And then with each cry to get louder as Bartimaeus did, Lord, Rabbi, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. He said, well, why should I do that? Is Jesus deaf? Isn't saying it once enough? There is something about the repeated intensity that we see here. When I was a young boy, Living in the suburbs of Chicago, my dad was down in the, the den in the basement. It's one of those split-level houses so you could hear what's going on down there. And the man is literally seven feet away from the TV in the back in the old days. Remember when you have to get up and actually turn the knob, right? To the three channels, it was a task. And I'm up in the upper part of the house, and I hear him calling my name, and my name's getting louder. And my name, Kenny! Kenny! And he's getting louder and louder. I better get down here and see what's going on. And he goes, hey, change the channel for me. The need was urgent. The voice got louder. <laughs> Bartimaeus repeats, 
Son of David, Lord, have, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy upon me. So, well, why should we do this? Why should we repeatedly cry out to God? Well, one thing we've learned throughout Mark's gospel is that a, a, a strategy that Jesus uses is to, as it were, somewhat delay or wait in order to draw faith out of people. Now, Jesus uh, didn't have to stop the entourage on the way to Jerusalem. He could have just looked over, kind of snapped his finger, nodded his head, winked his eye, blown a kiss, and healed Bartimaeus. But, but Jesus wanted to have a very personal interaction with this man. So he says, let's go. Let's call him. Now, now, Bartimaeus is being rebuked by everybody. You talk about agendas in, the, in Mark 10, there's an agenda, right? Boy, how often do we find that in the church? The people that have need, the people who are marginalized, the people who are kicked to the curb, the church is like, hey, we're on our way over here, and they're crying out over there. It's just too hard to stop the crowd. We'll throw them some money or goodwill. But Jesus stops. And he draws faith out of Bartimaeus, the man who is calling for mercy, just as we need to call out to God for mercy, that, that God in Christ, through his spirit and his word, wants to draw faith out of us so that we don't treat Jesus like you know a genie up there. We rub the bottle and boom, we get what we want. So do you really want? What do you want? And sometimes, you know, it, it takes time. For us to see clearly what we should actually be asking for. You know, the question uh, to the blind man may seem to be ridiculous. What do you want me to do for you? Well, of course the guy wants to see. What else could the guy possibly have wanted? Except what I have found out in life is that blind people have agendas too. Just as those people with Jesus had an agenda, just as we're going to learn in a minute that James and John had an agenda, and the other ten who became indignant at James and John had an agenda, like the religious leaders at the beginning of chapter 10 had an agenda. Everybody has an agenda, but Jesus is getting people on his agenda. Jesus is getting people going where he's going. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to do that? Are you really, are you finally, maybe, getting close to being ready to get on the road with Jesus to Jerusalem and all that that means? I mean, are, are our agendas any different than the ones we find in here? Don't, don't we push the weak away? Don't we neglect people who actually have need? Boy, I, I have real trouble with this. I, I have to work harder. You should pray with me about this. I have to actually, I have to consciously make myself stand still and listen to people who are talking to me. It's hard. Not because you're not valuable or worthy or important. It's just my brain is somewhere else and I have to work really hard at this. And we have to work really hard at this. Don't we get irritated when others seem to be getting the spotlight? Well, what about us? What's, what's wrong with us, Jesus? All of this, again, set in the context of Jesus being on the road to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the place where he will suffer, the place 
where he is going to be driven out of the city to the top of the garbage heap called Golgotha, and there he is going to be crucified. And each time, from chapter 8 into chapter 9, now chapter 10, when Jesus began to teach his disciples about that, and three times Mark tells us that Jesus told them this specifically, what do the disciples do? They resist it. They resist it. And you know what Jesus does with each resistance? He only makes it more difficult. Don't you love that about Jesus? No, you don't. Don't just sit there and say, oh yeah, I love that about Jesus. I love it when Jesus makes things harder. I don't. Hey, if you do, that's you. I'm going to just like, oh yeah, I don't know. Think about, think about how this has been presented. It is such a discipleship lesson. In, in chapter 8, he tells them what's coming. And, and, and Peter's like, oh no, you can't do that. And Jesus says, well, guess what? You've got to deny yourselves. You've got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow me. And, and then in chapter number 9, he tells them about it again, and again they resist, and he doubles down on them. He says, hey, listen, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be tested with fire. You're going to be salted with fire. You are going to be tested in this life. And then here in Mark chapter 10, he tells them again for the third time, and they resist again. This time, you know, James and John want to know if Jesus can uh, take care of the seating arrangements in the kingdom of heaven. Hey, we want to be one on your right side, one on your left side. And Jesus goes, hey, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup that I'm drinking from? Can, I, can you be baptized with the baptism I can be baptized with? And then when, one of the most audacious statements in all of the Gospels, James and John are like, well, yeah, sure we can. Sure we can. And then in a surprise move, Jesus says, well, you know what? You're going to be. If you follow Jesus to Jerusalem, you will drink from the cup he drinks from, and you will, what? Be baptized with the baptism he was baptized with. What do you really want from Jesus? He said, well, why do we resist? Why do we resist? Well, when the ten heard what James and John had said, they become indignant, right? They were like, Gee, what, are you guys, what, what is wrong with you sitting on either side? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, you know what? You all got a problem. You want to be treated like the rulers of the Gentiles. Now, you know what the rulers of the Gentiles did when they came in a person of prominence when they came in they were raised up they were carried into the city and they made sure they paid people you know to celebrate their entrance into the city so everybody would know that somebody important has come in, in, into the city and jesus says that sounds a lot like you guys that's what you want you, you want to be treated like the rulers of the gentiles uh, you you want to lord it over people you want to be like them who exercise their authority over others. And then Jesus says, but that's not me. That's not me. You see, it shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. I mean, these guys at this point still thought that they were going to be something because they were hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus says no. And what is probably the uh, 
key verse, the hinge verse of all of the Gospel of Mark, verse 45. Jesus says, well, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, this is the context then in which Jesus is working from as the Son of Man who came to serve, not to be served, but give his life, and the entourage is going along. The blind guy is crying out. The people are like, hey, shut up over there. We're going over here. And Jesus says, no, let the guy come. Come on over here. And they, and they go to him and say, hey, take heart. He's calling you. Like, wow, this is great. He goes over there. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do? It's not a self-evident truth, Jesus. That the guy's blind, you, that he wouldn't just want to be here. You're going to ask him? Yes, because I want to draw faith out of him. And, and, and what, is, what does he say? Don't, don't you love it, what he says? He says, well, um, I'd, I'd like you to recover my sight. I'd like to be able to see. I'd like to be able to see. You know, as we celebrate our nation's birthday tomorrow, let us remember that we too live in a nation filled with broken promises and empty dreams. Let us remember that all of those broken promises and empty dreams end in tragedy, although it may not appear to be that way. Let us remember in America where, once again, we've planted our flag of godlessness up on the high hill, that there, there are more ways to suffocate people than to lock them in the back of a trailer. And in a nation and in local communities in which we exist, whether it's the poor or it's the middle class or it's the upper class or whatever class it might be, evil empowering the systems of this world is suffocating people. And their souls lost for all eternity. And so when when Jesus asks us, when Jesus asks the church, what do you want me to do for you? Before we answer, let's always try to remember that we're on the road with Jesus to Jerusalem. And yes, there are times we resist it. But may our hearts be pliable to it so that we might become then the people he intends for us to become who then can give an answer to the suffocation that is being experienced in these communities all around us that have kicked God to the curb, that have no time for Jesus. Churches that are filled with all kinds of agendas other than the agenda of their Lord will get on the page they need to be on with Jesus. Oh, that includes me and you and us also. And just because we may think we're on it, and maybe we are on it, doesn't mean we'll necessarily stay on it. Because we all have time to prove otherwise. Should we not be praying? Should we not be asking, Lord Jesus, here's what we need. We need your spirit to give us sight. We need you to remove the partial blindness from us. We need to see you, Lord Jesus, more clearly as Jonah saw you and as Paul wrote about you that God in Christ is the one who justifies by faith that we all have sinned. We've all 
fallen short of God's glory and the message of God's salvation has to pour out of this place in lives that are changed and transformed. Which means lives whose agendas are with Jesus and the thing he's doing. You know, if by a miracle of grace, somehow today we get on board here and we admit our blindness or we admit that we have some partial sight problems and like Bartimaeus, we call out for mercy. You know what the promise is? That we'll get healed. That's the promise. We will get healed. We'll recover We'll recover our sight. And when we do, we'll be able to see as we've never seen before. And we'll be able to hear what we previously have stopped up our ears to. The needs within this church for things like fellowship and faithfulness and prayerfulness and holiness. The needs of our community suffocating with all of their middle-class concerns and advantages that, they, that just deadens their souls to the eternal realities, we'll be able to see those things, we'll be able to hear those things, and then because a miracle of grace has worked, we'll be able to respond to those things just as Jesus stopped and responded to the needs around him. Because when we see, guess where we go? We go to Jerusalem. This is, I, I love this at the end of the text because Jesus says to them, okay, you know, you, you, you get to see now, but go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovers his sight. But then how does the chapter end? He goes his way, but where does he go? Where does, where does Bartimaeus go? Yeah, he follows Jesus. Where's Jesus going? To Jerusalem. Now, it appears that Bartimaeus continued to follow Jesus because he's identified as being in relationship with Timaeus, so the, the church knows him, which I think you know, gives me a little bit of lee room to say, then, you know, can you imagine? You haven't seen, now you can see. You look in the face of the one who you know, wrought this great miracle, giving you your sight, but then probably within two weeks, you see him hanging on a cross, stripped, Shamed, dying. Of all the things that I would want to see if I had been blind and to regain my sight, I would not have wanted to see the guy who gave me my sight hanging naked on a cross, filled with shame, being mocked and scorned. But because apparently Bartimaeus followed Jesus all the way, he gets to follow him also then to see what happens three days later. Just what Jesus has been telling these disciples. The Son of Man will be crucified, and three days later, what will happen? He will rise from the dead. And the man who needed to see, gets to see, gets to see the guy who gives him a sight, gets to see that same Savior then hanging on a cross, and then gets to see that Savior risen from the dead. And Bartimaeus is changed forever. You see, this is why you can trust Jesus. In a world of empty promises, you can trust this promise, the promise that Jesus has made to us, which is why when he says, hey, you know what, go your way, that you say, well, I'm going your way. Where you're going, I'm going. That's where I'm headed. And he says, your faith, your faith has made you well.
Well, Father, we thank you uh, for your word to us this morning, and we give you praise for the goodness of grace poured out upon us in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray as we consider this question, and maybe we ask this question, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, let us be ready to answer. Let us be ready to answer. Prepare us now, I pray for your table. Let us be ready once again to hear from you. Before we come to this table, I encourage you to take a little bit of time, prayer and reflection. And then we'll celebrate the Lord's table together. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.